Good evening. Hey, I guess I'm standing today. So good to be with you um, as we continue our studies in the book of 2 Corinthians. We've made it to chapter 9. Thank you very much. So we've made it to chapter 9. So as you make your way there, let's pray. So Father, we're so grateful for you and the indescribable gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the most generous gifting that the universe has ever seen, your son, Jesus. We, we thank you for that, and we're thankful for your word, your perfect word. We pray that today it would have its perfect way in us, so I pray that your spirit would uh, teach us, convict us, move us, change us for the better, and as we're benefited, I pray that we'd turn and glorify you with that, so... Be glorified this evening in our study as you are in heaven. Match the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen? If you guys were here last week, when we covered chapter 8, we saw the Apostle Paul breaching this topic of Christian giving. Real, authentic, grace-motivated giving. Not the type of giving we can see in church sometime that hinges around duty or responsibility or percentages, but pure grace giving, what I call Christian giving, right? It's the giving that arises out of the depths of the heart who has been transformed by grace. The very gift of Jesus Christ sinks in so deep that you can't help but being generous that kind of giving. And if you remember last week, Paul held up two main examples of this grace giving, all to point out to us the most important principle of grace giving. And that is that in the mind and heart of God himself, motives are most important. The reason why you're giving is much more important than the amount or what you're giving. It's why you're giving. He wants to see a heart that's transformed by his generosity, and he moves it through you to be generous to other people, right? First, he set up those desperately poor Macedonian believers. Remember those churches from Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi? They were from the wrong side of the tracks. They didn't have anything. But yet, do you remember how they gave? They gave from the grace of God as a motivation. And it was well-pleasing to God and to Paul. So he held them up as an example. He also sets forth the other example in that chapter. And it's really the ultimate example of giving, right? It was Jesus Christ himself. Do you remember when he talked about he who was infinitely rich, not desperately poor, infinitely rich as the eternal son of God made himself poor so that you and I who are poor could be made rich. Talk about the ultimate example of grace giving, amen? Jesus Christ was grace giving personified, right? In his life, death, and resurrection. You see, in the mind and heart of God himself, motives are paramount. 
He wants to see a heart transformed by the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ, so that we can't help, not obligation or duty, but how could I not give? And it always goes more, grace does, amen? So as we work our way through chapter nine and finish off this topic of Christian giving, this is a twofer, right? Unfortunately, you get me two times in a row. Same topic, though. Okay, Paul's going to finish up here on this topic. And this chapter is in that context. It's the assumption that we know what grace giving is. We know the ultimate example in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about tithing. We're not talking about uh, obligation. We're talking about giving as we've been given to. Overflowing, pressed down, right? It's with that assumption that Paul kicks off chapter 9. He's still fundraising. He's still letting the Corinthians know that I'm, I'd like you to give to these needy believers down in Jerusalem. They have a need. They have a need, and I'm going to fundraise for them, and I want to encourage you to give graciously to them. Here we go. Chapter 9, verse 1. Paul picking it up again to the Corinthian believers. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. What he's saying is, I don't even think it's necessary for me to talk to you about this collection for these saints down in Jerusalem, but I will anyways. Verse two, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year And your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be ready. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you And arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. The first five verses there, I don't know if you caught it, but Paul's encouraging the Corinthian believers and us to be both ready and willing to give. If you caught it there. Oh, he he, he knows they're they're ready. (laughs) As he goes and says, you've been ready for over a year now. They had promised this gift to these believers over a year ago when Paul was there fundraising. And these believers said, yeah, we'll give. It must have been a big amount because it said that he was bragging to the Macedonian churches about him. And it stirred up, it said, if you caught it, it stirred up them. It got them fired up because of their zeal, because they were willing and wanting to give and pledging an amount to these believers that were in need in Jerusalem. They were ready for over a year. Being ready is important. You you need to be ready. (laughs) If you want to be a good giver, you better plan on giving. And sometimes that means budgeting. I know people who work extra shifts so they can be generous. How inspiring is that? Just so they can give it away. Sometimes it takes a little planning. Sometimes you have to be ready. These guys were ready. And we need to be ready if we want to be gracious givers. But it takes more than that. Paul goes on to say, you better be willing. 
I don't want to extract this from you. You see, Paul's fundraising, there's nothing wrong with telling people that you have a need or someone has a need. Pray for this. See if this is in your heart to help. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes an extraction, an emotional twisting to make you feel guilty, to pull that money and separate it from you like an extraction, Paul said, no, I want it to be willing. I don't want this. I don't, I don't. I want the brothers to come down there earlier before I get there. Remember Titus and the representatives from these Macedonian churches? Remember? They were going to go down in the, in the heart of being transparent with the money. We're going to send them early to, to receive your gift if you're still willing. I don't want to come down there and have you not ready and be embarrassed. Did you hear what he said? I don't want you to be humiliated. We'll all be humiliated. I've been bragging about you. So before I come, I don't want to extract it from you because I could. What I want you to do is make up in your own heart willingly if you want to go through with your promise because I want it to come from your heart. You need both, right? You need to be ready. They were ready. We make arrangements but you got to be willing to actually execute your giving. Out of your heart, you got to be willing to let it go. Like seed along the ground that's going to do something in the kingdom of God. And that's what he's saying. We both need to be ready and willing. The promise and good intentions are only worth so much. And he's reminding us, if we want to be good, gracious givers, we have to be ready and willing to pull the trigger. Amen? That's all he's saying in the first five verses. He goes on in verse six to tell us that giving, true grace giving, isn't something that's lost. Have you ever given to something? Is that a totally waste, right? Bought something and had regret, buyer's remorse. Christian giving isn't to be like that. If it comes from a heart and the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to give and you give, it will return. Check it out, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountiful will also reap bountiful. Giving is more than just giving away your money never to see it again. In God's economy, it's a process. It will return something. It's not lost in his economy. Like the farmer, it's working in something towards God's will and God's purposes that you may not see on this side of heaven, but he's using it. If it's from God, it will be used. It's not wasted. It will be returned to you and the giver and the kingdom of God. You see, That's why he uses the analogy of the farmer with the seed. The farmer doesn't sow the seed to think nothing's coming from it. Yes, it costs something. Seed's valuable. You ever try to buy a bag of seed now? It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's almost as bad as fertilizer, right? But you don't invest in those things and hold on to them. The point is, just like the farmer who sows, you drop a little bit of it, you're going to get a little harvest. You spread it out, and you give graciously. 
It will be returned to the kingdom and to you, grace for grace, as we'll see down the road. But we have to realize giving isn't losing. I think in our selfish cores, we, we can't really fully grasp this. And that's why I think the analogy of the seed and the sower and the harvest make a lot of sense to me, is you're not losing. When we give our time and treasure through the grace of God, by the prompting of God's Spirit to meet a need for no other reason than to bless and meet the need that God puts in front of your face, it will be returned. In proportion to what you give, whether that's spiritual blessings or whether that's material blessings, so God trusts you a little more to give a little bit more, whatever it is, your world starts to get a little bigger. The more you give, the more opportunities you will get to give, is I think the principle. And then in verse 7, Paul goes on to remind us again just how to give. It's not to be confused. And verse 7 is probably the heart of how we define grace giving and how we should be giving on this side of the cross and what should arouse in our heart. It's a great verse. Paul says it this way in verse 7. Each one, that's all of us, each one, rich, poor, and like most of us in the middle, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a great, great verse? Giving should be done willingly, not reluctantly, not dragging our feet, not at a duty or obligation. Giving should come out of the willingness of our heart for the desire for nothing more than to meet the need that God has somehow put in your path. You can't help everybody, but you know when it happens. He brings it in front of you, and God's Spirit convicts you to give. Not any other desire than to meet the need out of the goodness and the grace that came from your heart by seeing Jesus' example is what he's saying. Not so that we could get reputation or take the moral high ground as we ring our bell or to be a platinum sponsor, whatever it may be. Those are all horrible motives. And Jesus says this, and he warns us of that kind of giving. In Matthew chapter 6, you may remember, he's watching people give. And he sees the big hitters of the church, the people that, quote, unquote, move needles and buy chairs and sponsor stuff. And, and they remember, they rang their bell. Look at me. Look at how much I'm giving. Look at my moral fortitude, would you? I'm a generous person. And Jesus looked upon them and said, don't give like that. The only reward you get for giving like that is what men see. He says, rather, give like this. Give in secret. See the need and meet it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand's doing. And if you give that way, your reward will be from God who is where? In heaven. 
And I'm going to tell you something. The rewards from God make the rewards of men and the applause and and reputation that men want to shower on you for being this moral person makes it nothing. So a lot of that going on right now, all this moral posturing, it makes me sick. Just do what's right in your secret place and see the blessing that will flow into your heart. You want to know true fulfillment? It comes not in material things. That's the way Jesus wants us to give, not from validation from the world. Why would he want us to give that way? Isn't it the way Jesus gave? Did he give for reputation? Oh, no, that's right. He made himself of what? No reputation. Did he want to exert his kingdom when he came down as Jesus of Nazareth? No. They ended up giving him a crown of thorns, right? He didn't demand his his divinity. He hid it in a lowly Nazarene, made himself of no reputation, and he gave because he saw the need, the spiritual depravity of you and I, of all of mankind, and he wanted to once and for all break that curse of sin and shame and reconcile us to the Father. Amen? That's why he gave. He saw the need. And boy, did he meet that need. Amen? Jesus, the ultimate gift, giving not because of reputation, because we needed him to give. Amen? When you give like that, when you just see a need and you meet the need, you don't care who's seeing, you just want to do it because you know it's the you know it's God's will. Out of the grace in your heart, it's so freeing. Have you experienced? I hope you've experienced the freedom that comes from that. No man can judge you when you give like that. It's a freedom to where when you give, you can't help being joyful. That's why he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Give this way, not out of obligation. Give to meet needs out of the goodness of what God's given you. Re-give it to somebody else. And you cannot help. You cannot help but smiling and be joyful, being a cheerful giver, not a grumpy giver. How many grumpy givers have I seen and have I been in my life? You ever see people like this, oh, I gave this. Well, stop giving then because God does not need your money. He needs broken hearts that want to move his kingdom forward. His will will be done with or without your money. Think the person who spoke the universe into existence wants your little coins? He wants your heart. That's why grace giving is trumps everything. Amen? Give joyfully. Isn't that the way Jesus gave too? That's why this verse is so awesome. I don't know if you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer there at Hebrews says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him Imagine that. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I get an amen? For the joy set before him? Oh, are you starting to get grace giving? It's the way Jesus gave. It's his example we follow. That's why God accepts those gifts, and you're validated and fulfilled with those gifts because it's nothing more than taking God's stuff and moving it as, as God prompts you to. 
willingness, out of a heart overflowing with gratitude, you see. Amen? True, true grace giving comes from a heart of a volunteer that's been moved by the grace given through Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a great verse. As we move along to verse 8, there's a principle here that I want you to look at. And it's that the best way I can put it is that as we give graciously, not out of obligation, we should give with a spirit of expectancy that something's going to happen, that God's a debtor to no one. If you're re-giving his money, he's able to give it back, not always in material ways, not even on this side of heaven, but his program is moving forward. You should be giving with an expectancy that it matters and that God will use your fishes and your loaves and multiply them into great things for the kingdom of God. Check it out, verses 8 through 10. Let's read it. And God is able to make... Can we just stop right there? Is God not able? Sometimes I get up here, I don't plan on getting fired up, but God is able, amen? <laughs> He's able. Man, we're dealing with God Almighty here. He's able to meet our needs. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for your sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Amen? Oh, he's able. Did you catch the all? The all, the all grace abounding, all sufficiency, all things, all times, in every good work. Certainly, God is able to meet all of our needs. I think is, is the, the point there, the stressing of the all and the every. Every one of our needs can be met by the God of this universe, right? The one who controls this universe that holds it all together, if you will. We're dealing with God here. He's more than able to give back. Life can be uncertain. Finances can be uncertain. They come and they go. God gives and he takes away. Life has its ebbs and flows if you haven't figured that out yet. But one thing that does not ebb and it does not flow is the faithful generosity of God Almighty. And that's the point. When you give, he's not going to be a debtor to anybody. He'll give back. He's an expert giver. Have you looked at God that way? He's an expert giver. In Ephesians chapter 3, I love the way Paul puts it to the believers at Ephesus. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. 
He's an expert giver. He gives far beyond what you can even think. And we're in our little world wondering if we give something that God put on our heart, am I going to be poor? Am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to be able to make my car payment? Yeah. I think if you give responsibly and by the urging of God's spirits, and you give what God puts on your heart, I think he's going to return grace for grace. Amen? There's nothing wrong with giving with a spirit of expectancy that God will not be a debtor to anybody and that he's much more than able. He has a cuddle on a thousand hills, they say in the old, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 6. Did you know that? He said exactly the same thing. He says it this way. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be the measure you will give back. The more you give, the more you'll get to give. The more grace you give, the more grace you'll get. It isn't that self-evident when you look at yourselves and you look at the people around you. The people that have opened themselves up to being generous people, people that open their hearts up and share when they are able and when God puts it on their heart, in their sphere of influence, when God brings something to their mind that they are ready and willing and they act, have you seen how big their world gets? It just gets bigger. They touch someone, and that person touches someone. And then there's another opportunity to, to help and to give. And not only just with finances, but with their time and your treasure. There's lots of ways to give outside your pocketbook. Amen? I see their lives being bigger people. Do you see generous people as big people? And then I see sometimes when I refuse to give, and I'm selfish, and my life gets narrow, and it gets smaller and smaller, and I see my opportunities and my perception for opportunities going by me. I don't even see them anymore. My world gets what? Closed in and narrow. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. You give, it opens stuff up, and you'll have more to give and more opportunities to give spiritually with your time and with your money. Lots of different ways. You find your life being full of possibilities to reach people you would never reach before. Amen? The point is this, that God supplies all of our needs. Not always what we want or what we greed, but what we need, right? It's not always in material ways either. This isn't ring a bell to get a bell. He provides nonetheless. And that's this next section. It's not always material things that are given, but they're things that should be. As your neighbor looks over the fence at you, you gracious giver, and should be coveting in a way. Might not be a big house, because you're a big giver. Might not be a big car, but they're things that fulfill your human heart. Things like thanksgiving and glorifying God and people praying. That's what we'll see. Check it out. God delights in giving to his people. He won't be a debtor. 
But those returns aren't always in your pocketbook. They're not always so you can drive a Lexus instead of a Toyota. <laughs> that's not good theology. Maybe they're spiritual things. And I think that's the point of verse 11 through 14. And they are the important things. Check it out. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, your grace giving is not only supplying the needs for these saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Listen, as we give graciously according to the principle of the harvest, as we're letting these seeds go and seeing what God does with an increase in a harvest, right? God returns to us because he delights to give back to us. Some of the ways were mentioned there. And I want to talk about three of them. They're gems. And they are things that we should want and things that we should want to promote in our sphere of influence, in our families, with our kids, with our parents, with our coworkers, with our church body. And if you caught the first one, it's thankfulness. There's something when you give that arouses and awakens gratitude all around you, in your heart and in the hearts of the people that have been blessed. And you know what I've noticed now is thankfulness is at a premium. Having an attitude of gratitude, we need more of that. Amen? We have so much to be thankful for as believers. No one has it better than us, right? But yet, Thanksgiving, for some reason, slips by us, and we like to complain and grumble about the few things that we don't have, right? There's something about when you give graciously that awakens that to people around you. Have you ever experienced someone giving to you in such a way that you know that there is no other way that that happened except the prompting of God's spirit to meet a need that they didn't even know about, right? Do you remember what that did to your heart? That if it didn't happen, something bad was going to happen. And just in the nick of time, someone met your need. Somehow they heard. Somehow God's spirit put it on their heart and they gave in secret and it just blessed your socks off and it changed everything for you. Do you remember what that did in your heart? Did it melt gratitude out of you? I think it probably should have. To your Lord, thanksgiving unto God. And weren't you thankful that they were sensitive to God Almighty? For those of us who have been saved, 
in a way materialistically like that, where you're just hanging on. It just takes one more little flick and you're going to, it's going to go. You're in that kind of situation and someone meets your need who didn't have to. It wasn't a tithe. It was something they just did because they were faithful to God's calling. We've been there, haven't we? And that awakened in you, I think. It should have. It has in me when I've got blessed like that just with thanksgiving. Just overwhelmed with gratitude, real gratitude. The kind of gratitude where you just put the circus down, you set it down for just one minute, and you take a deep breath, and you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the breath. Thank you for hot water. Thank you for running water. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You just start counting your blessings. You're naming them one by one, and you see what God has done, and it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. That's what he's talking about. What a repayment. Do you want, a few, you want God to give you a few bucks that you gave away? Would you rather have that in your heart? The thankfulness. It's a gem. Real thankfulness. Have you ever been on the other end of that? Oh, and I know you have. This is a generous crew here. Were you in a special way? saw a secret need in somebody, and you met it just to bless them, just to meet the need that got moved in front of your mind and your heart. And you gave, and you gave it in a sneaky way maybe, and you saw, you saw it all come together, and you're just sitting there like the quarterback that just threw the touchdown, right? You're like, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me extra so that I could supply that need to see that family turn the corner, just maybe even for a minute, just I could play a part in your plan and your purpose in your kingdom, amen? You start being thankful on both ends of those spectrums, giving and receiving. It just, it, it, it stirs up gratitude. And that's a godly perspective that we all need more of, amen? Oh, it's so convicting. It's a, it's a, godly perspective. We are told in the Bible that we are to give thanks in all things. Oh, say it ain't so. Well, one way it can be so is start giving. And when you receive, remember to be thankful to God that someone's giving to God through giving to you. Amen? So the first thing it does, what a repayment. Thanksgiving all around. Right? Fill your goblet full of gratitude. <laughs> That's what God's saying. Not something cool and refreshing, something thankful. And when you drink that, it will fulfill you, and it's a gem. And that's one of the ways that he's not a debtor to people when they give. He arouses thanksgiving in your little sphere, and it's beautiful. And it's just great to be around thankful people, is it not? Hmm. Thankfulness. There's another one in the last verse here, 14, that I went through. If you caught it here, is that people will start praying for you when you give. What? It's pretty cool. Check it out. Verse 14, it says, they will long for you and pray for you because of the, surpa the surpassing grace of God that's upon you. They see real gracious giving. The way Jesus gave, they see that, and they, it says they, they're, in a way, thinking and praying for you. 
Now, I know sometimes in our little Christian circles, prayer can be a consolation prize. I can't, I don't really want to meet your needs. Hey, but I'll pray for you in passing, nonchalantly. Let me tell you something. Earnest prayer before God Almighty from one of his children asking and praying for you in your little sphere. There's something there that is a repayment for your giving. There's something about prayer that we can't understand in a way. And you can study it all you want, and I have. And you can look at the principles of prayer all you want, and I have. But there's something somehow, something supernatural when you earnestly pray with a clean heart to God Almighty and you intercede for other people, there's something that happens that we cannot deny. Something does, God does something with that prayer, and it's supernatural. It's in the spiritual realm that I can't even verbal, verbalize to you, but it's real, and it's not a consolation prize because it's somehow prayer unlocks the spiritual realities of God himself. That's what I think it does for the prayer and the prayee. There's something, there's something about it. And it says when you give, it encourages people to pray for you. So grab your glass and don't fill it with champagne because you've been such a goody tissue, but just take heart in the fact that people that you give to are praying for you. That's what these believers did. They longed for them, and they prayed for them. And that's not a small thing. Do you want people praying for you? Lives have been changed. The real enemies, the spiritual principalities have been beaten back in your life a lot of times because someone's praying for you. You're getting help. You're getting things you don't deserve because someone else is remembering you in their prayers, in the earnest request for you before the King of Kings. Amen? It encourages prayer. It's powerful. If you've never experienced that, you should remember someone who gave you something and start praying for them and then watch their life. It's a challenge. The last thing it does is it glorifies God. It's another way that God can repay the giver. I know that seems, check it out in verse uh, 13. I got seeing problems right now. <laughs> I just got old. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity that you contributed, God gets glorified when you give. Why do you think that is? Why do you think God is glorified when you're generous? Maybe it's because you're modeling the very gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. It's because when you give graciously, you're modeling the most generous gift that humanity has ever seen, and that is Jesus Christ. 
leaving his throne in glory and coming down as a gift, a free gift, giving it all up, all the riches and all the glory he had up there. He came down and made himself poor so that you and I could be rich, right? So we could be made rich in God, in Jesus Christ. That's why you're modeling the gospel. You're being Christ-like. Giving is Christ-like. And that's why he ends it up this way and wraps it up with this verse. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's the gift of Jesus. Like I said, the most generous gift humanity's ever seen is the God-man giving it all up, giving his best when we were at our worst so we could be at our best and not only live forever, but be everything in Jesus Christ, right? That's why. Giving's Christ-like. It's modeling the gospel. And ultimately, we give because he gave. We forgive because he forgave. We love because what? He first loved us, right? Everything comes from that grace, that inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ, amen? It's a blessing and a privilege to partake in giving generously, to giving graciously, to realize we have stuff, time, and treasure. We have a little extra in America. And maybe, just maybe, we have that so that we can model the gospel and be generous. I think that's the point of chapter 9. Amen? So as we go about our week and we stop talking about giving, (laughs) we start giving, right? No more talky-talky. Let's plan and let's execute. Amen? Let's be generous people. Father, we're so grateful for the ultimate gift in your son, Jesus Christ, and what it provides us. That he became poor so that we might become rich. Thank you for the very richness that you've blessed us with. That in Christ, we have it all. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We've been made nearer to you in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All those things, Father, and much more, only because of the gift of your Son. We thank you for that. I pray that that would impress on our hearts, motivate us to be generous, big people with our time and our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Have a great night.